The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, church. My name is Allison. Um, I am normally serving on... (laughs) Uh, the production team, which means I'm hiding in the back. Um, I've been attending Story City for about three years now, um, but today I get to read our scripture. Um, so we are thankful for God's words. Um, and so at the end, I'm going to say, um, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you all to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Will you please join me in standing for the reading of the Lord? Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your uh, trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For because we we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Jared Ocelier. I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here. Welcome. We are so glad that you are here at Story City Church. At Story City, we are for the story of God for the city of LA. And what does that mean? It means that collectively that our stories are a part of God's redemptive story for Burbank and for the Valley and for greater Los Angeles and for California. Yes, even for California. As we work through our series, Centered, we have been talking about the foundational things uh, that we need to, in order to learn how to love God and to love the people around us. Jesus said that all the commands of the Bible could be summed up in those two things, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But when he said that to love your neighbor as yourself, it means to extend the same rights, the same privileges, the same grace, the same understanding of intentions that you would give yourself to the people around you. Sometimes it's much easier just to love God, right? Um, I've heard many pastors joke, pastoring would be way easier if we didn't have to pastor any people. That would be much more simple. But the reality is, is that the, the essence of the gospel is, is in learning to love God and love people, and it takes practice. It's not an easy thing. It doesn't come naturally to us. We have to learn how to do it together. And so we are. We're here doing this together as family. And we're going to be in and out of this series centered throughout the year as we build on those foundational truths 
Uh, and, and we've been talking about some of them as we've worked through Job and suffering and where's God in the midst of evil. We've talked about who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, who the Trinity is, understanding that. And we're moving into a new portion that we call the four questions, and that will be the next four weeks. Um, but before we do that, let's talk through our minute to mingle question for the day. Does what we do for a living define who we are? What do you guys think? Sometimes. Somebody's honest. Okay, good. We have one honest person. <laughs> okay, if it does not define you, because I heard a bunch of you say it did not, why not? Surface level, it's one part of who you are. Can I push back on that for a second? Why is it? Thank you. I'm glad I have you. <laughs> I was really doubting myself until that moment, but then... <laughs> Thank you. I should clarify what's rhetorical and what's not. That's perfect. <laughs> Why is it then that what we do is the very first thing we ask people about? Why is it that we don't want to apply that to ourselves, but if we're really honest, that's exactly what we apply to the people around us? Because that's really how we determine where they stand in relation to us. There's this fantastic BBC skit uh, if you don't like British humor, then just tune out. But there's this fantastic skit about this guy who uh, is introduced at a party and he has no social skills. And so every time they ask him something, he's like, well, that's great. What do you do? But, but it, it's not brain surgery because he's a brain surgeon. And he goes through the whole thing until he gets to the end and he meets a guy who's a rocket scientist. And of course, that's the end scene. He's like, well, brain surgery, that's great, but it's not exactly rocket scientry, is it? So, um, but we do. We, we have this thing where we, we tend to want to check and see, where do I stand in relation to this person? And we ended up actually defining people by what they do. Now, we don't like to admit that about ourselves, but if we think about it, it honestly points to the fact that we somewhat do that about ourselves as well. Because the only way you can define somebody by what they do when you talk to them is by having a standard for what you do in your own life. So why do we define people by what we do? Again, most of the time, it's because we want to know where we stand in relation to them. Are they smarter than me? Are they more successful than me? Why? Because in some way that speaks back to who we are. And so the truth is that none of us want to admit that we do that, but we, have, we probably do that a lot more than we think we do. You guys with me? Does that make sense? But he's like, this is depressing. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> well, let's pray, and we'll go to God's Word. We're going to talk about this this morning. God, you are incredible. You are amazing. I thank you that as we sing songs about you, that we get to... Lord, the goodness of you. You're good when things are going great and you're good when things are going bad. You're faithful when we are faithful and you're faithful when we are unfaithful. You're faithful when we don't even know you. You're faithful when we are angry and railing against you. You are still good and you still love us. Lord, you chase after us. You are a pursuant God. That is mind-boggling to me, the God who had the power to create the entire universe chases after us. God, you are incredible. You humiliate yourself to come into our lives. What an incredible God you are. I pray that we'd see you and know you for who you are, that we would understand and know you better, that we would truly learn what it means to love you deeply and to love the people around us as we apprentice you. We ask that you would move in our hearts and minds today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the four questions we'll be wrestling with over the next few weeks are, who is God? What 
has he done? I'm sorry. Yeah, what has he done? Who are we in light of who he is and what he's done? And then what do we now do because of those things? Now, I believe most of us here, those who have been apprenticing Jesus for a long time and those who are still not apprenticing Jesus, struggle to understand what it means to have an identity in Jesus. I think all of us struggle, some more than others, some at other times. There's seasons in our lives where we may be struggling and seasons where we don't struggle. But I think all of us, whether you're an apprentice of Jesus or not, understand that the world doesn't tell us who we are. We get that. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be people who are defined what people, by what people say about us. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. But many of us still don't understand where our true identity comes from. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to believe who people say I am. And then somebody really close to you says something that just devastates you. And you realize, maybe I'm, I'm, I carry more of this than I really want to. And we can struggle with those things. And Paul addresses this idea of identity in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5, he says this. He says, It's of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or any human court. In other words, you're not defining who I am. But he goes on to say this. He says, In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. I'm not justified by what I think of myself. It's the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring both to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the true intentions of the heart. And then praise will come to each one from God. What is Paul saying? In verse 3, he's going back and saying, look, my identity is not defined by what people say. It's just not. And we get that. We understand that because we've been taught that. If you've had elementary school kids in the last decade or so, you hear this constantly. We're not defined by what people say we are. But the problem is, is that we have not been taught to believe that we are also not who we think we are. In fact, the world would say opposite, that you have to identify yourself and say who you are, that we get to choose our identity, that we get to define our own identity becomes a really important um, right now. And the Bible says that that's actually not a right that we have. Why? Because whether I think a certain way about myself, good or bad, doesn't actually make it true. Paul ends verse 4 and continues into verse 5 by saying that it is God that judges us. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean like gives a sentence to us, but it judges us, meaning defines us relates our value and our worth. And so our identity actually comes from who God defines us as, who he says we are, not how we feel about ourselves, what we think about ourselves, or what other people think about us and feel about us. We are not who people say we are, and we are not who we say we are. That's the part that's going to be hard for us to really grasp. Apprentices of Jesus are not we are only defined by the one who made us, created us, and knew us before we were in our mother's womb. And I think some of us might even get this at the knowledge level, but we really struggle to get this in the place in our heart where we can live this out and understand this identity. Personally, I struggle with this all the time. I have this ideal identity that I want for myself, who I want to be, who I want people to see me as, who I want to see myself 
as. And sometimes those things are completely misaligned. Who people see me as so often isn't, isn't correct because why? Maybe my, my actions come off different than the intentions that I have, right? I had great intentions and maybe it came across totally different than I intended to. Sometimes people will see me in a certain way and I'll be like, oh, if you only knew, I'm so much more jacked up than that. And I know myself, right? And so I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. I, I'm not that person that they think that I am. And so if only I was this. And so I hold myself to this different standard. And so sometimes because uh, I, I define myself whether or not I'm living up to my ideals, I can judge myself more harshly because, or think less of myself because I'm not reaching that standard. Or conversely, sometimes I think highly of myself because I am reaching my standard. But either way, I am believing my own version of my identity and I'm not living in the identity that Jesus has identified me as. And what is that? That is the adopted son of the living God. This is Adoption Awareness Month. And this idea of adoption is really powerful for me because I am adopted. My mom is my biological mom, but my stepdad adopted me. And there's a moment that I will never forget for the rest of my life. My, uh, my dad has passed away since, but I remember my parents' wedding. Uh, actually, I remember two of my mom's weddings. That's a whole different story. Um, I actually performed my mom's uh, latest wedding, and that is a weird thing. If you ever get a chance to marry, perform the wedding for your mom, that's just a strange experience. But, but anyhow, uh, I remember the wedding. I remember I was five years old, and I remember thinking, I'm losing my mom. I'm lo- I remember that thought, I'm losing my mom. And, and I, I, this was totally unplanned. But my, my stepdad, my, my, uh, it was a stepdad still at the time, um, I remember that they, they were pronounced husband and wife. They turn around, they begin to walk back down the aisle, and he stopped. And he walked over to me sitting in the front row, and he picked me up. And uh, he whispered, we're a family, and he carried me back down the aisle with my mom. And, uh, and that was something that, again, in that moment, I will never, ever, ever forget, that in that moment, I became his son. I became his son. This is exactly where we stand in our identity with with God. That as we apprentice Jesus, that we are not just some stepchild that that snuck in by the skin of our teeth, but that we are adopted children who have been picked up and carried in the Father's arms as a beloved son or daughter. And because our identity is who Jesus says it is, it doesn't matter what people say and it doesn't matter what you think, you are, as apprentices of Jesus, a beloved adopted child son or daughter of a living king. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we've said that the Trinity is the gospel, that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. The Father designed the rescue plan. He, he gave us his Son. The Son is the embodiment of that living rescue. And the Spirit renews, restores, and leads us into restoration and renewal and relationship with the Father and the Son. And so if we're going to define ourselves by who God says we are, then we have to continue to understand who He is. Because God is family, servant, missionary, we are called to be family, servant, missionary. Pastor and author Jeff Vanderstelt writes this. He says, we need to define the church in light of one, who God is and what God has done, two, who He has made the church to be, and three, what He has saved and created her to do. Think about it in familial terms. Do we define family based only on what they do? 
We are family because we sleep in the same house, eat together, do dishes, share a budget, etc. That's activity. Or do we define by who they are? We are a family because we have the same parents, the same last name, belong to one another. That's defined by being. Or because of how we came into being. We are a family because our parents gave birth to us or adopted us. That's origin. A healthy family would be defined in all three ways. Our parents birthed us or adopted us, so we belong to them. We are all related and share identity, so we belong to each other. And three, we do what families do together. We live life together defined by love. The same is true of the church. We are the church because the Father has made us His children through the life and work of Jesus, giving us birth by His Spirit. We have a new identity as those beloved children of God, and we live out lives of love and good deeds because we are His children who are deeply loved. Now, last week when we were talking about Trinity, we said that God is the perfect model of biblical community. Another way to say that is family that God is perfectly familial. And since we are designed to reflect who he is as the image bearers, the imago Dei of God, we are called to live in biblical community or biblical family. The Bible talks about this quite a bit, that we are family for those of us who apprentice Jesus. Take a look with me at Romans 8.15. It says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's like Daddy God. That's an intimate intonation of who God is. And 2 Corinthians 6, 18, And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That is a promise of God. That means we, through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, are legitimately adopted into the family. And the Bible clarifies we have the same inheritance as Jesus, as co-heirs with Christ, as fully sons and daughters of the living God. So God is family. We are called to be family. That's why you hear so much about biblical community here. But it doesn't stop there. God is also servant and calls us to be servants. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God is family, and God is servant, but God is also a missionary God. God himself has entered into human history to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. The Father promised this gospel plan right from the very beginning. As soon as sin entered the world, God already had a rescue plan that he was going to send us a rescuer, send us a redeemer. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, here comes a big Christianese word. Okay? It's proto-evangelium. This is the first telling of the gospel. Proto-evangelium, the first gospel message when God says there is going to be a rescue. So see, you walk out of here, you can use this word on all kinds of people. <laughs> I have no idea what you're going to do with it, but that's great. The proto-evangelium, first telling of the gospel. So God doesn't stop there. He says there's going to be a rescue plan. He promises that uh, entering into human history will happen through his chosen people, the people of Abraham. Jesus is sent into human history as fully God and fully men. 
He completes his death and resurrection and then promises to send his Holy Spirit, which he has done. We see the fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 2. But God doesn't stop there because he also has sent his church, you. The church is not the building. The church isn't the organization. The church is the collection of those called out to his mission, which is you. You are empowered and led by the Spirit. You are God's plan to be the missionaries of who God is, how he loves, and to share his plan of redemption for all creation. Jesus himself gave us this sending in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. He says, go therefore. That word, that verb is actually as you are going. It means as you're going about the life God has already given you as you are already doing what God has called you to do in your ministry, in your profession. I said your ministry because what you do is your ministry. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a position. You don't have to work for a church. God has called you to be a missionary right where you're at to the people around you. And so he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, if you get freaked out about that, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Church, can I bring up something here for a minute? Is it okay if we have some real talk? For those of you who aren't apprentices of Jesus yet, we're so glad you're here. I hope this place is a safe and welcoming place for you. But for those of you who are not apprenticing Jesus, just relax for a second because I want to call out those of you who call yourselves Christians for a moment. Family servant missionaries are not just about who we are, but it's how we are to live. Vanderstelt goes on to write, if we are not living as missionaries fulfilling Jesus' mission, it's either because we do not have the Spirit, meaning we're not actually apprentices of Jesus, or we're being disobedient and we're grieving the Spirit. We are living in disobedience to what He is calling us to do. Family, what does a missionary do? A missionary identifies, understands, and crosses the cultural, societal, and language barriers in order to work within them to share the hope of the gospel to those who are unlike them. Fair enough? When we operate as if the only way to show people the gospel is to invite them to church, what are we asking them to do? We're saying, hey, would you come out of and cross all these these barriers? Would you come into a completely different culture? Guess what? We Christians have our own Christianese. We have our own language. Would you cross that barrier too? Would you come into a completely different way of thinking? We are asking people to be missionaries to us if Sunday morning is the only place they see, know, and hear the gospel. This is why we have missional communities where we learn to live together and live out the gospel in ways that people see it. To be on mission, to love our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that God has put in our life, to be praying for them regularly, to see their lives transformed, to invite them into real life with us for the sake of the gospel. When we do this right, we will see ministry done more around the dinner table than the Sunday stage. And that is right and good. That doesn't mean that what we do on Sunday isn't important. It's where we learn together. It's where we grow. It's where we get challenged. But it should encourage us to go back out and live the way that God has called us to live. Good? All right. Time in. We're good. All right. We're still talking about our gospel identity here and how easily we get this twisted. So let me show you how this works by working through these four questions and how helpful these can be for you. 
as they are for me. When you meet someone for the first time, what's the first thing you ask them? What do you do? Right. Again, we already talked about that, but it is one of the questions. And that's really where most of us actually start with ourselves. So here's how this might look. What do I do? Well, I'm a pastor. Okay. Are you good at that? That depends on who you ask, right? (laughs) Depends on your experience with me. Uh, it, it can change. Some people might say, yeah, it's great. Some people might say, yeah, you know, he's okay. Some people might say, uh-uh, right? That's okay. Guess what? It's the same when I ask myself that. Are you a good pastor? Some days it feels like, yeah. Some days it feels like not so much. And so it's not consistent, right? It depends on whether I feel things are going good or not good. If I'm doing well as a pastor, then yeah. Uh, uh, who am I? I'm, I'm, what do I do? I'm a good pastor, Right? But, but this is the problem. When I fall into the temptation to associate what I do with who I am, then that begins to define me. And so when things are going well, then I can define myself as good. I'm a good pastor, therefore I'm a good person. When I talk to people who, who don't know a lot about Christianity, I meet them for the first time. Uh, we, I, oftentimes I'll, I'll uh, we'll talk about stuff and they'll say, what do you do? I'll say, I'm a pastor. And Oh, and then they'll ask, what does my wife do? She's a therapist. Okay, this is cool. And then uh, we, we talk a little bit about our lives, and I, I hear this a lot. Oh, you guys are just good people. And I'm like, man, that has nothing to do with it. But I'm glad you think that. That's nice. That's better than some other things I've heard about myself. So that's great. And so this issue of identity really hits because what's the problem? The problem is when things are not going well. Man, I, I am, I'm not pastoring very, very well right now. Maybe I, maybe I just am not hearing from God. Well, if I'm not hearing from God, then I'm not that great of a leader. If I'm not that great of a leader, then maybe I'm not doing this thing right. And maybe I'm just not a good pastor. I'm not a good person. And so this idea of identity, like I said, plays right into this. But the problem doesn't stop there. What do I do? Who I am? If what I'm doing isn't working out, then I'm seriously questioning what that means for me as a person. Then the next question has to be, well, where is God in all this? What has God done for me? If things are going well, that might be, well, he's here. That's great. But again, if things are not going well, where does that lead me? It leads me to either God's not with me or God doesn't seem to care or I know God can step in, but he, he probably won't step in. Maybe he's just unconcerned. And that leads me to the next question, which is, well, then, if God is unconcerned or not with me or inconsistent at best, then, then who is he? And I have to answer that question in light of what he's done. That means he's inconsistent, unloving, or best unconcerned. unconcerned. And many of us have viewed God through this framework. And it's because we're starting with this sense of who am I, and we work through the questions that way, and it leads to this wishy-washy relationship with an inconsistent God. And frankly, that's exhausting, but also unreasonable and unnecessary. You see, our identities are often misaligned with God's idea of our identity because we have these questions backwards without even realizing it. We are defined by God. God is not defined by us. Who we are always flows out of who God is. Who we are, listen to me, who we are always flows out of who God is is. And so God is not defined by us. Watch what happens to our understanding of God's identity and our identity when we work the questions by starting with God instead of ourselves. Who is God? God is loving Father. He's a suffering servant and a compassionate missionary. What has He done? 
He loved us so much that he gave his life to glorify the Father and make way for us to become adopted sons and daughters of his. He humiliated himself by taking on a human nature in addition to his divine nature. He sent his spirit to be our comforter and our guide and our teacher, and he remains with us consistently and faithfully. So who are we in light of who he is and what he's done? We are the beloved. We are his children. We are the ones who are living under his grace and mercy and justice and love. So what do we do? We live out our calling as family, servant, missionary. We live in response to how amazing he is. We, in response to him, love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In response to him, we love and serve the people God has put into our lives. We help make disciples and walk them through baptism and help them grow as apprentices of Jesus as they learn to do the same with the people around them. Living out these questions in the right order not only reinforces our true biblical identity, but it helps us to know how to live out our calling in light of who he is and what he's done. If we aren't loving people by helping disciple them, we would say become apprentices of Jesus here, then we aren't actually loving them well and we're not doing what God asks us to do. We're not fulfilling the Great Commission. So how on earth do we do that? We start by asking God to help us to truly want to. We have to ask God to help us to really want to do that. And then we focus on learning to know and listen to God and we practice believing in and living out the gospel Identity as family, servant, and missionary. Now, I want to give you guys, I don't want to just talk about this. I want to give you a very practical way to look at the scriptures that will help you continue to remember this order. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. If you have a physical Bible, it's going to really help you over the next several weeks. Uh, If you don't, it's fine. You can use your phone. But I also provided it in the notes for you today. There's a little area that you can use to actually write down in it. So I want you to begin to... um, Again, over the next couple of weeks, it really does help you to be able to write in your Bible. I promise you, for those of you who grew up uber Christian, uh, writing in your Bible does not send you to hell. It's going to be absolutely okay. Lightning does not strike you in this area. It's perfect, okay? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is in the New Testament. If you open up your Bible to the middle, that's about the Psalms. Keep going to the right. You'll hit the New Testament when you hit the Gospels. It starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts and Romans and so on. You'll get to the book of Ephesians shortly after that. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. We're going to read it again, and we're going to go through it line by line. So let's just read it first. Verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our flesh of desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace." He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared prepared ahead of time for us to do. All right, let's break this down. Could you guys do me a favor? We didn't talk about this, and I should have. Could you bring the house lights up a little bit? Danny, I'm sorry. I completely forgot that. And he's over here. See? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. Sorry, guys. That's, that's on me. I figure if we're going to write, it might be a little bit easier to do this. So thank you. 
Look at this again. We're going we're to take a look at this. Let's start in verse 4. And here's what I want you to do. Call out the things you see that describe who God is. We're only going to answer that question this week. Next week will be what he's done. So don't give me the answer of what he's done. Show me the things in here, starting in verse 4, that say who he is. So, starting with verse 4, what do you see that describes who God is? God is rich in mercy. That's right. What else? Okay, loves us is what he's done. You're right. But great love, he's one that loves greatly. So God is rich in mercy. He loves us greatly. Okay, what about verse 5? Those are things he's done, right? This is hard, I know. But he is the one who saves, right? Good. You guys are getting it now. Verse uh, 6. He's the one who has the power to raise us from the dead, right? Good. What about verse 7? He has incomparable or immeasurable riches. He is gracious and kind. Yes, that's right. Verse 8. He gives gifts. He gives faith. That's right. Verse 10. He's creator. He's craftsman. You guys seeing this? He also is planner, preparer. I had some pastors once who told me, uh, we, don't, we don't plan our sermons. We just, we just go off what the Holy Spirit says. And I said, you know, God himself is a planner, preparer. I think the Holy Spirit can be there as much in your planning. And I promise your people will appreciate it much more. And so when you look at Scripture over the next couple weeks, I want you to be able to go back and look. And you can pick any part of Scripture out and look at it and see who is God. Because as we start reading Scripture, it's going to help us to begin to understand this framework and make sure that we're asking these questions in the right way. It will change the way you see Scripture. It will change the way you see God. And so I want to encourage you. Open your Bible this week. Pick a passage See who God is. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take the same passage. Next week, we're going to look at what he's done. And so I'm going to stand up here and we're going to ask the same questions. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 and say, what has God done? And you're going to see all the things that God has done just in this one scripture. It's amazing. If we who are apprenticing Jesus truly live our lives in the identity of that God has given us as beloved sons and daughters, we would be much better brand ambassadors for the gospel. If we truly lived out our identity, we would be much better pictures of who God is as family and servant and missionary. If we believed in and lived out our identity, we would find ourselves actually in healthier community, serving others inside and outside of our church as we loved them well. If we believed in and lived out our identity, we would recognize that God's grace and love and favor and forgiveness and mercy are not dependent on us, just like our identity is not dependent on us, but is completely dependent on him. Why? Because he is gracious and loving and favorable and forgiving and kind and merciful. All of those things are because of his greatness, not ours. 
And so as you read the Bible this week again, look at the passage through the eyes of this question, who is God? I believe that he wants to speak to you specifically through that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious and incredibly loving. I thank you that who we are is not defined by what people say or what we feel about ourselves, but entirely by who you are. God, you are absolutely incredible. I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you are, um, God, able to work through the lies that we have told ourselves. That you are able to break down the barriers and the years of listening to what other people have said about ourselves and what we've said about ourselves. And that you're able to renew and restore. And Lord, I believe that identity is one of those areas that you have come to renew and restore through the person and work of Jesus. And so we want to stand in that. Whether we know you and are apprenticing you now or whether we don't. Whether we're still checking this whole Jesus thing out. Father, I pray that you would help us to begin to understand what it means to be in you. And so would you bring us to live out the truth of your gospel. In the name of Jesus. Amen.